Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says this. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. The word begins with a word. The, the verse begins with a word, and it's a word that we tend to skip over. But what's the first word of the verse? Then. Then. So understand that word then means that this is a particular word, a particular verse that is intended to uh, mean more to you at certain moments of your life. There, there's a, a moment in time, a, a moment you call then when this will really matter to you. So, so whenever you're reading scripture, you, you can't just take out a verse like a, like a diamond and just and look at it. You have to leave it in its setting. You have to remember what God's word is saying in, in its context. So Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 is one of those verses that people take out and, and flash around, but, but, but they fail to keep it in, in the context. And I want us to leave it in the context because I think this is where it's going to speak to us tonight. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and restore their land. When is then? You have to back up. Go back now to verse to verse 12, Solomon has just finished an amazing prayer in the moment of the dedication of the temple of the Lord that has just been completed. It's the dedication service for the house of sacrifice and prayer. And Solomon has prayed this amazing prayer of dedication, and now God answers, and this is what God says. I have heard your prayer, verse 12, and have chosen this temple as a place for making sacrifices, verse 13, at times... I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then if my people who were called by my name, do you see that? Then is the moment in your life when you suddenly are made to realize that you have drifted. And God actually takes responsibility for those moments. The fact is he loves you too much to let you turn away from him because everything good comes from him. He loves you too much to let you run to your idols. He's going to do whatever it takes to try to keep you near to him. And that's why he says, there may come a time when I might shut up the heavens so no rain falls. What's he saying? The, the grasshoppers may come and devour your crops. What's he saying? Just very simply, sometimes God will, will give you distance so that you will learn to reach for him. Sometimes he will stir the hunger in your life so that you will learn that nothing you chew on in this world can possibly satisfy you. You need him. So there are moments in our lives, there are times when circumstances just seem to begin to work against us. It's like the rains no longer drop, the heavens no longer drop the rain upon our lives. The grasshoppers devour everything we have. Have you ever had those times? You just feel like nothing goes right, nothing for you works out. It's like you have good things, you, you get good things, but you put them in pockets with holes in them. And when you go back, it, it's all gone. You're empty again. You know what I'm talking about? The, the marriage isn't working, the job doesn't work, the church doesn't seem to work. Nothing works for you. It's as if suddenly everything is closed, every door is closed, there's no air for you. 
then if my people call by my name. Do you understand? It's almost as if God is telling the prodigal how to come back home even before he leaves. Because in this moment, the people of God are gathered. Solomon is there. On one of the greatest days of his life, Solomon is there. But God is warning him then, there's going to come a day when you're going to have to learn how to come back to me. Now, again, this passage is beautiful and amazing, and it goes back even farther for that. There's a larger context here. As I said, Solomon is is dedicating the the brand new temple, the the, the temple of God. It's the temple that David longed to build, but David was never able to build. And now Solomon has built this amazing house of sacrifice and prayer. So if you've got your Bible open, just I'm not going to read chapters and chapters, but I want you to see chapters and chapters. Notice in chapter 5 how the ark is brought into the temple. And then notice how in chapter 6, King Solomon just starts praising the Lord, just begins to praise. I mean, they're going to break this house in right. Solomon just begins to praise the Lord with abandon and with beauty. And then in verse 12 of chapter 6, he just starts praying. And it's a prayer of dedication of the altar. Now, what is the altar? The altar is the very center of the people's worship. The altar is the place where they will bring their sacrifices, and the fire will burn. The fire will consume, and that fire is the sign of God's accepting the sacrifices of the people. So that altar is the very most important place in the temple, and Solomon begins to pray and dedicate that altar, and it's a beautiful and amazing prayer that goes on and on and on. Have you ever been in one of those prayers that, you know, you're opening your eyes and See if he's still praying. Is he still praying? And he goes on and on and on. But chapter 7, verse 1, God says, Amen. What happens in chapter 7, verse 1? Fire flashes down from heaven and lights the fire at the altar. I mean, Solomon can pray and pray. I mean, he can pray up a storm, you know, but, but he can't pray fire from heaven. God does that. Chapter 7, verse 1, when Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices in the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Understand, until that happens, that's, that's just another big old empty building. It may be beautiful, but until the fire falls and the presence of the holy God fills that place, it's just another empty building. It might as well be Roy's barbecue. Do you understand? It's just nothing without the fire from God and the presence of the living God. Just like this place. But now, I don't want you to miss this. Why is this significant? Why is it important that the fire falls from heaven and lights the altar? Why? But because remember, that fire is the sign of God's accepting the sacrifices of the people. You just can't bring anything. You have to bring your best. You have to bring what God has asked for. And when the people bring their best, when the people bring the best of their flocks, the best of their herds, and they sacrifice it there on the altar, and that that, that sacrifice is burned there in the fire, that is the sign of God's accepting the sacrifice that they have brought. And only God can say what he accepts. And only God can accept what he accepts. That is God. You understand? That's God's prerogative. God gets to say what's acceptable in our worship. So that fire comes from him. We don't set that fire. Now, here's the amazing part. This harkens all the way back to Leviticus chapter 9. Turn in your Bible. Leviticus chapter 9. All the way back. All 
all the way back to Moses and Aaron when they're beginning their work there in the tabernacle. Notice what happens, Leviticus chapter 9, verse 23. After Aaron raised his hands toward the people and blessed him, after presenting the sin offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering, he stepped down from the altar. Then verse 23, then Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle, and when they came back out, they blessed the people again, and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community, and fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. Understand, it goes all the way back to the beginning when God first begins to, to allow the people to worship. God lit the fire then. Now, what you may or may not have ever understood in all of your Old Testament studies is that altar fire that God sets, that has to be kept burning. God lights that fire. And he lights it in a beautiful way on this day and then again in Second Chronicles chapter 7. God lights that fire. And it's amazing and it's beautiful. And this is the beginning. I mean, God lights the fire for the worship and devotion of the people, but he lights it once. He's not going to come back tomorrow and light that fire again and again and again. That's the people's job. All through the Old Testament is the responsibility of the people, the responsibility of the priest to kindle that fire. It can't go out. That fire came from heaven. That is the fire that God himself flashes down. You can't bring your own fire. You can't just pull a book of matches out of your pocket. You can't just rub two sticks together. That fire comes from God. The fire of worship, the fire of our devotion, that comes from God. Now, we like to try to stir up a little bit of heat of our own, but it never works. That is not worship. That is not the worship that God accepts and requires. That that fire comes from God. God lights the fire on the altar at the beginning. And then it is the people's responsibility to kindle and keep that fire burning. Now it's devastating that by the time you get to Solomon, there is no more altar fire. It's devastating. But now God lights that fire. And the worship of God's people once more has begun. They can worship him as he needs to be worshipped. So you understand what I'm saying? God sends the fire, but then we have to keep it kindled. We have to kindle that fire. And the problem with fire is it has a tendency to go out. If you've studied fire in chemistry class, whatever class they, you know, fireology, whatever class that is, uh, fire typically requires three things. Three things. And if you remove any one of those three things, fire goes out. What are those three things? Anybody know? First, fuel. You have something to burn. You need fuel. You need oxygen. Absolutely. Fire requires oxygen. And then heat. Yeah, exactly. You guys are good. Fuel, oxygen, and heat. If you deprive fire of any of those things, fire goes out. So spiritually speaking, I want to talk about the fire in your life or the fact that the fire is not burning in your life. What happens to it? What is it that extinguishes the fire in our lives? But more importantly, how do we kindle the fire in our lives? You need fuel, something to burn. What is the fuel of God's fire in my life and in your life. I guess we could say a lot of things. 
I, I guess if you look at the Word of God, the answer is the Word of God. Jeremiah says that God's Word was like what? Fire. And where was it? Shut up in his bones. Yeah, your word is like a fire that is shut up in my bones. And God's word is, is fire. God's word. How long has it been since you rushed hungrily to God's word? When's the last time you read your own Bible for yourself? When's the last time that you opened the, the Bible and, and you heard the, the speaking voice of a living God and didn't just drag your eyes across dead words on a page? God's word is the fuel for the fire in your life. And if you do not live your life out of God's word, the fire goes out. But it's not just a matter of reading. Remember what James says. He says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. So it's not enough just to hear a lot of the Bible read. I mean, I read a lot of the Bible when I preach. Some of you think, I think I'm getting enough, but, but it, you're not. It's not enough to hear it. You, you have to do it. So that fuel for the fire of your life is, is hearing God's word, knowing God's word, but also serving the Lord, doing God's word. You keep that fire burning by, by living for the Lord, by living out what you know to be true, by living out what God says for you to do. When God says do it, you say whatever, wherever, whenever, Lord, I'm yours. That's, that's fuel for the fire. And, and when you no longer live your life out of God's word, that fire goes out. Oxygen. What's the, what's the wind? What's the breath? What's the air for the spiritual fire in my life? It's... It's the Holy Spirit, right? Ezekiel steps out in the valley of dry bones, and, and, and he preaches to the bones. And what happens? The, the, the bones scoot across the desert. They reattach. But then still, you just got dead bodies out there. And then he preaches to the wind. He preaches to the wind, and the wind blows. And the Spirit comes and fills their lungs. You're just saying the words, no place I would rather be, no place I would rather be than here in your love. We're talking about the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Our, our problem is there are many other places you'd rather be. If you love the Lord that much, if you really crave the presence of the Holy Spirit, you'd be there in his love, in his presence every single day. You would walk in that spirit, but you don't. So you cannot say there's no place you'd rather be. It's, it's the Spirit. It, it is His breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. Did you not just sing that? I mean, are you singing true words? It's His breath. It's His Spirit that animates us. It's His Spirit that brings us to life. If you do not walk in the Spirit, that fire goes out. And heat. Fire needs heat. Most of the ways we put out fire in our lives is, is by depriving it of heat. That's why you throw water on a fire. It, it smothers it. It, it. it cools the heat so quickly that the fire goes out. It's, it's the heat of your spiritual fire that for most of us has grown so very, very cool. Nothing can burn. The fire's been smothered out. You're the busiest people on earth. We can't even keep a, a decent database at church anymore because you people move around and change phones and, I mean, emails. I mean, I mean, my goodness, are y'all like running from the FBI? <laughs> You're just people in motion. You move, you drive, you go. You're busy, busy, busy. I mean, you have time for nothing and nobody. 
do not understand how the lifestyle that you're choosing to live extinguishes any real spiritual fire you could have, but because it's smothered out in your busyness. You're, you're never quiet enough. You don't slow down enough to hear God's voice, and he's not going to run you down. You be still. Remember, he's the master. You're the servant. You stop for him. He won't stop for you. Parable of the, 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 the sower that Jesus tells. He talks about the seed that falls among the weeds. The, the, the seeds prop up, but then are immediately choked out. And the disciples said, well, Jesus, what does that mean? What's the meaning? And Jesus said, well, when the seed falls, the, the weeds represent the worries of this life and, and, and a love of money and desire for other things. It's pretty much what smothers a fire in your own life, wouldn't you say? It's worries of this life. You try to worship tonight, but your mind just goes in so many directions. You're worried about so many things. Truly, the only task you had tonight was to bring all of those burdens and lay them down before him. But if you lay them down, you don't get to keep worrying. It's that worry, that obsession with being in control of your own life smothers the fire. Desire for money. I know y'all aren't really keeping up with the Kardashians. If you are, you got, you're not doing a very good job of keeping up. Just kidding. I don't really think that's what you're trying to do, but we still live lives that are very obsessed with material things. We concentrate more on the things we can see and touch and hold and buy than any of the things that Christ gives that are invisible, the things that matter most. It's desire for other things. Tonight you're saying these words, I I want more, I want more, I want more. But the problem is what you want more of is not Christ. You want more other things. And your fire's out. What you have to understand is you can't light that again by yourself. You can't rub two sticks together. You, You can't just, you know somehow come to church enough to, to make up the difference. You just can't, you know, put money in the offering plate and hope that buys you something good. I mean, you've got to understand, you can't do anything to light this fire. All you can do is pray for it and wait for it. He, he will light that fire. You have to come back to him. So how do you do that? How? Well, the word of Scripture is that when you realize that that fire is gone, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and see my face turn from their wicked ways, I, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, I will restore their land. So, people of God, humble yourselves, pray, seek his face, turn from your wicked ways. He will hear us, and he will do for us, lighting the fire that we cannot live without.